Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to City Beautiful. Take a seat. Good to see you all. Um, oh, this is taped on funny. Uh, good to see everyone. How are you feeling? Good? Do you feel like being here is like an act of resistance against the empire? Right? No, I, you know, I, I think about this a lot. I was talking to somebody about this earlier in the week that um, we are moving into an era in the church in this country where uh, we don't take it for granted anymore that we're followers of Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Reverb. That's great. Um, we don't take it for granted anymore that we're followers of Jesus. Like, uh, and there's so many things that are asking our time and our attention. We even talked about, um, and I'm going to talk about this more next week, that a lot of the old gods are still alive and well, and they demand our worship. We, we just think that we're so evolved beyond that that we don't think about it as, as worship. But all these things are asking our attention. And I really uh, am more convinced than ever that gathering together to worship, to pour over the word, is, it's an act of defiance. Like it's a, you're, you're making a political statement in a way by choosing to be here on a Sunday because you could choose the like, oh, well, I'm just really tired or oh my gosh, I've got to do laundry or oh, all these other things. Um, but you're saying, no, I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And that's an act of resistance against the empire that would seek to distract you, to keep you small, and to keep you powerless. Um, And I think especially, you know, all the things that we're running into, like, you know, like Steve mentioned, we have this kind of dual track of, like, COVID and summer, you know, and it's like, obviously, like, take care of yourself. Don't show up if you have COVID. That's a very practical thing to do. But, um, yeah, uh, I think it's important that we continue to remember what it is that we value and to keep that North Star intact, because if we don't, um, we end up just kind of fading further and further away until we find ourselves in that foreign land um, eating pig slop and wondering how we got here. Um, So I want to commend you all um, for your act of being here today. I don't don't take that lightly, and I don't want to waste your time. We're in a series right now uh, called For the Sake of the World, uh, where we're looking at particular aspects of uh, kind of the Christian experience, some of these words that we've used like evangelism, missions, justice, trying to redeem some of those things, as Jenna said earlier, that our, our vision for the year is from the throne flows a river of renewal. How do we renew some of our approach to the world? Um, and especially uh, my generation and younger millennials that we're so guided by authenticity. We know what's inauthentic when it comes to like evangelism. Like obviously like we don't want to be the person standing on the street corner with a sign, but we don't know what's authentic. It's like, okay, what are we called to do and and who are we called to be for the world? And a lot of what we've talked about is that the, the most important thing that we can be for the world is the church. That's what we're called to be. Um, and again, I see this, this idea of being the church, that God is forming a family of strangers, as Stanley Hauerwas tells us, 
um, as this act of resistance against these empirical notions of individualism and consumerism and so on that seek to keep us apart, that the enemy wants to kind of keep us apart, keep us distracted, and therefore to keep us powerless. Um, But to be the church is to gather together under this new kingship of Jesus, um, to allow him to inform us of who we truly are, and then for us to work together to, to reveal the kingdom that we talked about even early on, that there's a difference between the church and the kingdom. The church is this ragtag group of people seeking after the kingdom, seeking to embody the kingdom. And we were even talking yesterday um, in our all-day teaching of Ephesians that it's that act of uh, friction that comes with being part of the church that leads to a sense of creativity and possibly renewal and redemption, uh, which is another way of saying God puts you in community with people that you don't like. <laughs> and you, get, you look across the aisle and you go, why, did, why does that person get to be here? Like, they don't, they don't get to be part of the church. Or we choose churches uh, full of people that are already like us, and we think that's the goal. Um, when in actuality, it's that discomfort, it's that friction that comes up within community, people that we wouldn't have chosen by our own merit, that actually is part of the process of our sanctification, that makes us holy, that purges us of our prejudices and our biases. And the world should be able to look at that happening in the church and say, what, what is that? What is that new form of humanity that's taking place among all of these disparate groups of people being brought together under the kingship of Jesus? And it's our witness as the church that becomes the best message that we have to display to the world, that we're not going out and trying to make the world just look more like us, but that we are truly embodying that shining city on a hill imagery. And so today, we're going to be kind of coming back around to this, <clears throat> this concept that it's how we in the church love one another um, and how God has set us up in this thing called the church to embody the kingdom that becomes that witness for the rest of the world. So today we're going to be looking at um, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So I'm going to pray uh, and we're going to get into this. Heavenly Father, we testify the truth that you are here, that you are with us. You're with us wherever we are. You're with us um, on our most joyous, happiest days, and you're with us in the deepest, darkest, uh, most unforgiving moments of our lives. You are with us. And you turn curses into blessings. That the things that are meant to keep us small, to keep us powerless, and to keep us apart, um, by your Spirit are converted into opportunities to grow closer to you and to one another to understand ourselves more. The things that are meant for our death become life. Lord, we pray for all of those in our community right now who are suffering, uh, you know, whether they're at home sick with COVID or any of the other myriad illnesses that are going around right now, Lord, that you would be a comfort to them, but that you would also be the great physician, that you would heal them uh, fully and completely in the strong name of Jesus. And Lord, as we continue on today, I pray that our hearts would be open and tender um, to receive truth from you, that we would be courageous to believe that it is you speaking to us, and that we would own that, that not only are we capable of hearing your voice, but you delight in speaking to each one of us individually about where we're at and where it is that we're headed. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
This is Acts 6, 1 through 7. I love that um, we have talked a lot about Acts in this series. Uh, Steve brought it up earlier today um, because Kristen brought it up last week, speaking of Acts 2, that early vision of the church kind of post-Pentecost. And this is still very early in the life of the church, um, which began very much as a Jewish movement, okay? So we saw the followers um, of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. They go out, they speak in all these different languages, but they're speaking to Jews from all over the known world who are coming to Jerusalem for this particular feast. And so we start to see this new expression, a messianic Judaism in a way. But there's already these kind of uncomfortable elements to that because there wasn't a single Judaism in the first century. There were many Judaisms and people from all different kinds of cultures and ethnicities that still worshiped Yahweh as God. And they're trying to figure out how do we live together? How do we embody this vision that we have of uh, this new family of God? And so that's kind of where we're jumping in in Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So if you see me waiting tables, you know, we got a problem in our community. That's what this means. I am above such work, obviously. The Bible says so. Uh, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumba, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what's happening here? Hellenistic is a very fancy word for Greek. So we have Greek Jews. You know, Jews are probably from more of the Greek-speaking world, just west and northwest of Jerusalem. And then Hebraic Jews, who would have been from Judea. Common uh, religion, uh, different languages, different customs, and already these people being in the mix together, there's a certain amount of bias and prejudice because we all naturally have it, right? We all naturally have our preference and it's usually to take care of the people that are just like us. And so the, uh, the, Hebraic, Jewish, the Hebraic Jewish widows are being taken care of, but these Hellenistic Jewish widows are not. And so this cry comes out from the minority to say, hey, uh, this doesn't really seem fair. And the church recognizes that something needs to be done about it, so the leaders come together. They say, here are the qualities that we're looking for and the kind of people who can take care of this, and we're going to, we're going to demonstrate the spiritual gift of administration. Did you know administration is a spiritual gift? Raise your hand if you've got the spiritual gift of administration. Bless you. Bless your nippers. Uh, you were doing the Lord's work for sure. Um, and they, so they, they were taking care of this need. And I think this is what's so fascinating. To be part of the church is to bear witness to the chaos of what it means to be a human being. Um, newsflash, there will never not be chaos in the church, in life, as a human being. But I think that the spirit of Jesus turns chaos into creativity as we endeavor to become 
a heavenly family. The Spirit of Jesus turns chaos into creativity. So what was happening in this earliest church? There was a practical need. You know, sometimes we think when, when we're waiting for our moment, like when we're waiting for our capital C calling, like we want the clouds to part. And, you know, like I've talked about after my sabbatical, like I was waiting for like the rain, because I'm a good charismatic, rainbow in the sky, friggin' bald eagle flies by, and you're like, ah, yes, Lord, I have seen and I believe. Like how many of you, you that's what it means like when you're looking for your calling, Right. Like, it has to be some sort of revelation that comes out of this, like, magnificent experience. Um, that's not how Stephen's life, like, that's not how we enter into his story. There was a need. They went, wow, these widows aren't getting uh, taken care of. Who's going to do it? That was it. And a lot of times, we're so conditioned to even, like, uh, our, your ministry is going to be like Jonah, which means you're going to be called to people that you don't like, uh, by a God who doesn't particularly like you with skills that you don't have just so that you can burn out at the end of the story, right? But it's this big, at least it's this big magnificent call and there's a fish involved, you know? In reality, in real life, this is what it looks like. There was a practical need. They looked for people who had a certain kind of character and they empowered those people to meet those needs in the community because there's a constant shift when it comes to the church, of who is being welcomed through the doors. God is constantly bringing in different kinds of people, which means that chaos is inevitable in community. A lot of times I think we believe that a, the sign of a healthy community is stability, which usually means rigidity. And indeed, that's a lot of what churches pursue. It's a lot of what corporations pursue. A lot of organizations in this world, it's like if we can get to a place of stability, which means rigidity, which means we know what to expect, we know how everything's going to operate, we've ironed out all the wrinkles, that's the secret. And I just do not think that that is a realistic uh, vision. How many of you have ever read the book Matilda by Roald Dahl when you were kids? Uh, the Trunchbull, the, the principal, imagines the perfect school is the one that doesn't have any children in it, and she's right. The perfect church is the one that doesn't have any people in it, right? Because people induce chaos. I was talking with Jackie on Tuesday about this, and we were saying the only kind of consistency we can expect is adaptability in chaos. That's the only kind of consistency that you can expect. But I think there's an, always an opportunity when we can convert chaos from being the thing that we're trying to avoid, when we begin to embrace chaos, um, there becomes an opportunity there to lean into the creative spirit of Jesus to say, okay, what is it going to look like next? Who are the people that can meet this kind of need? How do we shift expectations in our community so that we can continue to try to embody uh, the spirit of Jesus? And so that's what we're really talking about today. How do we do that for one another? Um, there are no gimmicks for creating a healthy church culture. It begins with willingness and devotion to see the community become what God has called us to be for one another over time. T-shirts work for a little while. Pizza parties, that'll get you kind of far. Um, but I think a lot of times, 
from, from my side where it's being part of the organization, we're always looking for the gimmicks that we can, like the shiny baubles that we can give you to be like, hey, 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 if you sign up for this team, here's what all we're going to promise you. And I got to this point, I'm like, I can't promise you anything if you join a team. You're going to be inconvenienced. It's going to be chaotic. People are going to get COVID and you're going to have to fill in for them. Um, and you probably won't like enjoy it all the time. Like that, hey, amen, brother. But we're always looking for gimmicks. We're always looking for the promise. If I do this, oh man, it's gonna be so good for me or, or, or whatever it might be. And I think a lot of times our attitude towards church is kind of like the diet culture that we have in the world today where it's this constant, like, I'm going to just, I need to get reset, and I'm going to launch into this, like, you know, kind of crazy diet that I'm cutting out all these foods, and I'm adding in all those things, and I'm changing all of this stuff, and we end up in this, like, binging and purging attitude when it comes to our relationship with church. We're all in, and we're showing up to everything, and we're signing up for all the things, and then we go, whoa, I'm so exhausted, and then we back away from everything, and then we feel guilty because we're not doing anything, and then, like, three months later, we're all in, and we're just being tossed back and forth in this attitude of, like, trying to find equilibrium. And if you know anything about diet culture, you know ultimately it doesn't work. Because the thing that you're supposed to do with your nutritional diet is eat a balanced diet. Like that's it. It's not about cutting things out and putting things in and pushing yourself and then it, 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 all that stuff, it's only temporary, but it doesn't set you up for success. But it's not sexy to tell people to just eat well. You know what I mean? Like, we want to be on adventure. You know, as Americans, we love adventures. We want to be on the keto adventure. We want to be on the Whole30 adventure, you know? <clears throat> we, in, we invent imaginary things that it's like, oh, I'm going to do this, and then all of these, like, things in my body are going to, like, die off or whatever. And it's like, just eat healthy and, and exercise three times a week. But it's, you know, as we learn that there's no gimmicks to being to nutritional. I say this, and yesterday I had a Popeye's chicken sandwich. So don't, don't listen to me when it actually comes to nutrition. But, like, when we give up this, like, binging and purging mentality when it comes to our presence in community, I think it even is just, like, not even just about serving, but it can be about us showing up. We'll show up for a couple weeks, and then we just, like, we, we, we drop off, and we're gone for two months, and then we show up for a couple weeks. And it's like we're just constantly, we're, again, we're, like, binging and purging because we're always measuring, do I do something more or do I do something less? And I think that's the problem. Should I show up to church more or should I show up to church less? Should I serve more or should I serve less? So I go to my community group more or should I go to my community group less? I think more and less is the problem. It's how do I do these things well? over time. Because that's the other thing. We like diet culture because it promises us immediate results. Like do this thing for 30 days and then everything's going to be great. Um, and we like that when it comes to church. Like if I sign up for a community group in one month, I should be like, you know, completely known and loved and, and so on and so forth. Like if I sign up for this, this serving team, like I should just like feel the presence of Jesus within three Sundays or my money back guarantee. Like <clears throat> if I give, uh, you know, of my, my resources and if I tithe, then I like all, we, we're, we're conditioned for this short-term expectation. 
And what happens so often to us is like, if I don't see results in three to six months, then I just jump to the next thing. One of our former elders used to talk about in Orlando, the migration of the whales, whenever the next cool church showed up. We used to be the cool church. Did you guys know that? We used to be the cool church. And then another church started up and then like everybody just moved to that church. And it's always, it's again, it's this diet culture. It's like, if maybe that one's the answer, and I'll give it six months and go, oh wait, it didn't happen for me. I, d- I, don't, I don't feel like I got everything that I wanted or that I needed or that I, even that I was promised because a lot of church cultures, um, you know, kind of feed into this. So we just jump to the next thing. And you just delay the actual growth in your life when you do that in six-month chunks. That's just, that's all you're doing is you're just putting off the deep stuff. Because the deep stuff, the good stuff, it takes a long time to get there. And some of you know that. Some of you know what that feels like. So when it's discipleship, when it's serving, when it's giving, we want to learn how do I do this well in a way that is sustainable, not do I need to do more or do I need to do less? Because that's what membership in our community looks like. We don't do formal membership because, again, I think it can be this kind of, it can actually be a barrier to thinking continually about how we are engaged. It's like if I have a little card that says, oh, I'm a member of City Beautiful Church, um, then I don't have to question and, and be reflective on what my, what my uh, presence looks like in this community. And I think the other thing that we don't like in this kind of, in the diet culture, the culture of empty promises, three to six months or your money back guarantee, um, is that everything in life costs us. Did you know that? Did you know as a, as a creature, like you take in energy and then it just goes somewhere? Like you can't hold on to it? It's like everything in life costs you, you know? It's not like, and, and, and that's, just, that's just it. So it's like when we serve one another, yeah, it costs us. When we give, it costs us. When we choose, you know, like I, I like to tell our community group on Thursdays, like I choose not to choose what I do with my Thursday nights, you know? Like that costs me. That costs me one night out of my precious week but it's a non-negotiable for me. Like I don't, and I don't want to do anything else than to be with my people on Thursday. And I even told them, Megan will testify. The first day I was like, I don't need more friends. I don't want to hang out with you guys because we're friends. Like I want to go deep with you in the name of the Lord. And Thursday nights are my night to do that. And I think that's the kind of mind shift that we have to have. Everything is going to cost you, but is the cost honorable? Is it worth it? because you have a trajectory, you have a vision of who you are being called to be in the Lord and what this thing can be when we all come together with that willingness and devotion to see this community become what God's called us to be over time. So I want you to take three or four minutes and turn to one another, and I want you to uh, talk about this question. What are the markings of a healthy serving culture to you? What do you think it looks like for a community to be healthy in the way that we serve one another. So turn two, three, four people um, and have that conversation.
Give you about 30 more seconds. All right. All right, so uh, let's get a, we'll get a little feedback. What, what did you guys come up for? What are some markings of a healthy serving culture in a church? Jennifer. A safe space for vulnerability. A safe space for vulnerability. Anybody else get that one? No? Wow, you were original. Good job. What else? Accessibility. Accessibility. What do you mean? Oh, okay, yeah. So we're doing it. Great. Thanks, Tiffany. What else? Tony, Johnny. People are focused on the needs of others. Yeah, being that kind of, almost like that Stephen mentality. Absolutely. What else? Leading with kindness and not niceness. Leading with kindness and not niceness. Ooh. Interessante. What did you say, Nicole? Yeah, not allowing it to just fall on one person, but and just thinking somebody else will take care of it, yeah. Kristen. Appreciation for others' strengths, yeah. yeah. And weaknesses. <laughs> I got I got I'm Loy and I are le- reading uh, Leading with a Limp by Dan Allender, which is the best and only leadership book that I would ever recommend. Leading with a Limp. It's about being weak. Anyone else? Not letting serving be your identity. Yeah, that's really big. That's a big one. Cool. Well, I think you guys mostly nailed it. Let's see. So this is, um, these, this is what we think a healthy serving culture at City Beautiful Church looks like, okay? Now, the interesting thing is, is this is a vision, which means we have not achieved this yet. So I'm fully, fully owning the fact that we don't always do this particularly well. But that's the point of having vision. Like I said, there's a difference between the church and the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is the vision for the church. And the church, in reality, is a group of people that are constantly like banging up against one another and, and not always getting it right. Um, so our vision, number one, uh, we're for one another. We're not against each other. We talk a lot about having a, a family mentality. And again, even that idea of family being a vision and not necessarily what many of us experience in reality is family. But families uh, ideally work together and problem solve together. Like what we see in the early church, there was a need and they said, we need somebody to take care of this to make sure that we're all like entering into our respective qualities and strengths. It was practical. It wasn't sexy. There was no you know, rainbow with a bald eagle or whatever. It's like, no, we're family. This is what we do. We take care of each other. Like, I, I really love the way that I, the way that I grew up is like, uh, you know, we had chores from an early age. We were cooking once a week, like at 10 years old and doing our own laundry by 12 or whatever. And I hated it uh, because you're a petulant little child. Did you know that children are super selfish? <laughs> what? And if kids were just left to their own devices, they wouldn't do anything? And the two things... That the only two things you want to do when you're an adult are the things you don't want to do when you're little, which is to eat and sleep. Doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, I guess I was a kid at some point. Um, but the way that I grew up, it's like, this is what you do because you're part of a family. Like, it's like, I don't, and many of you know my mom, so you're not going to be surprised. It's like, I don't care if you want to do the dishes. <laughs> like, this is what you do. But what it did was it trained me to understand that, that 
and again, I think you begin to leave the, the kind of the law mentality behind. I do this by obligation. And you come to learn, oh, yeah, this is what I do because of family. And God willing, we go above and beyond just the obligation to, to a family to actually be more outwardly focused and, and other-centered and begin to take care of each other. So number two, um, we believe in the work of the many, not the few. So part of a healthy serving culture is resisting this temptation to become a consumer of somebody else's presence, okay? And I think that that's very common in church culture, I think, because of a lot of the things that we set up for it to be a thing that you're supposed to consume. Um, Ian Morgan Cron talks about, like, it's, it's like you, you come to church and you get, like, 50 cc's of this, like, experience and you feel really good, and that works for a couple weeks, and you addicts in the room know, then it gets to the point where you're like, man, I kind of need 70 cc's now. Like, I need you to give me a bigger show, and to give you give me something more interesting that I can just gobble up. But a lot of us, like, that church tends to reinforce that consumerist mentality, when in actuality, it should be the very place where we're shedding that being part of who we are. So if we're, if we're only coming to church to consume an experience that other people have invested in, um, we're missing the mark. Um, because then it's just like there's a few professional Christians. And that's why I, I'm not a huge fan of like the stage audience thing. Like what I loved in our last building is we we're kind of getting more into the round because we could disassemble that idea of like there's the professional Christians on the stage and they're singing to Jesus and believing in Jesus on my behalf to saying, no, actually this is something we're all participating in together. But as we all find our place in serving one another, we alleviate the burden on the first people to step in and to say yes. So the more people are involved, the less work there is for everybody in that. And it's out of that work of the many that we see everyone, uh, they're, like you just better steward um, your time and your care for one another in that. Um, and that's hard because I think, hold on a second. You know, I, I want to commend as I look around here and I see some of you and you've been the first ones to say yes and you've, you've, you've put yourself in that position of serving and showing up consistently and many of you are tired because you're still, you want others to come alongside of you in that and it's maybe not happening. So I want to challenge some of you that haven't said yes yet, like notice the people who are consistent. Notice the people who are investing in this thing because they care about it? And can you come alongside of them in that? I always think about like, maybe like um, when the Israelites are in a battle and Moses has to hold his staff over his head. And as, as, whenever he has a staff over the head, like the Israelites are winning. And as soon as his arms start to go down, they start losing. And so what happens is uh, it's Aaron and somebody else, probably Pumbaa, and they come and they like, hold his arms up for him. And I think it's this amazing image of like what it means for the many. Like we can't do this thing if there's just a couple professional Christians and everybody else just comes uh, to consume. Number three, we believe that service can actually be healing and not wounding. Um, again, I think it, is, it can be very common in church culture, and I'm not saying that we're exempt from this by any means, where we do reduce people to being a function um, which is going to lead into the next one, but that what happens there is that we get we get wounded by service because we're only being commended uh, for what we have to offer and not who we are. 
Um, you know, we use the Enneagram in our community a lot, and like Enneagram 2s, any Enneagram 2s in the room? Okay, a couple of you. Um, I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for you in church culture because we commend the people that say yes and are generous and give of all their time, and we applaud them when they're like, like ruining themselves for trying to like find their place in it. So we want to believe, like again, everything costs us. We want to believe it can actually be really healing for us to serve one another instead of, instead of it hurting us. And again, it's like if, we, if it's only about cost mitigation, like is this thing costing me time? Is it costing me energy? And that's how I make my decisions. Well, yeah, everything costs you time and everything costs you energy. Like that's not a valid way to make decisions in life. But to go, am I, am I stepping into this thing as a way to encounter a new understanding of who God is um, and who I am because of who God is? And I'm putting some language to that. I'm, I'm putting some flesh to that. Like, I love the way that Charity does the engagement team. She's constantly reminding her team, like, this is not about just standing at the door and waving at people. Like, who wants to do that? Like, yada, like, big deal. This is about creating a welcoming space for strangers to find home and for people to feel like they matter. Like, that, sign me up for that. You know what I mean? But we need to be reminded of that because we'll constantly lower our sights to just making it about function. And that's usually where we get wounded. Um, fourthly, we don't let ourselves become just a function. I, I think because this is so prevalent in our culture in general, it's so prevalent in a lot of churches that you've come from, um, you have been in positions where you, it's been reinforced that your only value here is based on the function that you, ser like that you serve. Just you identified by your role, maybe like kind of to what Ellie was saying. Um, and you started to believe that and that's where you got hurt. But a lot of times we also enter into community with that expectation. And what does that look like practically? It means I only show up to church when it's my turn to serve. And that's, that's my church time. Um, but if I don't have to serve, I don't go to church. And you're telling yourself the lie that you, your only worth to this community is in the role that you have to play when you, when you kind of operate into that decision-making to say, well, I'll show up when it's my turn to serve, which is you know, once a month or once every six weeks or whatever. But if I don't have to serve, then I don't have to show up. You've already set yourself up to believe that this thing that we're doing right now is just here to drain you. And again, that comes from that consumerist mindset. And so we want to have, part of being a healthy serving culture is like we show up even when we're not serving because we're here to love and to be loved and to believe that maybe this thing can actually animate us. It can actually be life-giving. It can bring us to life because we're worshiping in the presence of our spiritual family. We're encountering the love of God in this place. And then when we serve, it comes out of an abundance of joy. It comes out of the, relation, the relationships that we are, we're building already just by being in community with one another. And we don't start to tell ourselves that lie that we're only valuable because we're a cog in the wheel. And then finally, we foster healthy boundaries with our yes and no that have holistic love in mind. Um, a lot of talk about boundaries over the past 10 years. It's a net positive. I love it. I love me some boundaries. It's great. I'm not good at them, but I love them. Um, we can make boundaries out of a self-preservational mindset, which is that fear of things costing us, 
rather than boundaries out of love, which is a delight in things costing us, maybe you could say. Uh, so that's, when we say yes and no, a lot of times in that unhealthy boundary place, that's what we're saying is like, no. Like, you're, that you're going to take from me, right? Like, that kind of miserly mentality that we have. Like, you're, gonna, you're just going to take from me, so I'm going to establish a boundary. Um, but a loving boundary, it may still be a, a, a no, but it comes out as a place of love and care. And I think it's a really fine art to learn what actual healthy boundaries are. Um, in really healthy boundaries, we bless our limits, okay? Um, this is the biggest thing that my past... Uh, pastoral coaches taught me. He said, can you name your limits and can you, um, like the best lesson that you have for your community is to, to teach them about your own limitations. So like, I don't work Saturdays. I don't work Mondays. Like you, you can only talk to me through Slack if it's church stuff. Jonathan's not here, so I'll pick on him. But like, I'm constantly going, Jonathan's texting me like, great, man. Send it to me on Slack and I'll, I'll take care of it tomorrow. Like, because I'm a limited human being, there's only so much that I can do. So in healthy boundaries, we, we do, we bless our limits. We know what we're not capable of, and that's, and that's okay. And then we can really bless our contributions. We know what we're really good at or what we can do. But the really fine art in that is that we begin to consider not just, you know, at the end of the day, it's just about me protecting myself. We go, at the end of the day, it's how do I love myself and continue to love the people around me? So we consider the other people on our teams, um, we consider the people that we're in community with and say, am I setting up boundaries? Am I saying yes or am I saying no in a way that's sustainable, that blesses the people that I'm in community with? Because too often individualism silos us and I make my decisions and those decisions have no repercussions for the people around me. So when I get stressed out, I just close off. I just make decisions for me and I just, I don't, I'm not thinking about how that might affect others. So we make these healthy boundaries to consider the other people on our teams, and that's knowing how often could I serve, or what does that look like, or how do I make sure that you know, if, somebody, if somebody drops out, like I can take over. I love seeing that in a lot of our teams right now where people are they're, they're switching if they have to, or some, like today, like if someone gets sick, somebody else is able to jump in. Like I love that. So I think this, this passage of Scripture to me is so... Uh, it just sums up so well um, what we find uh, in Paul as he's giving us, he's saying, like, this is what it looks like to be a healthy serving culture. This is what it looks like to say yes and no with integrity. This is what it looks like for this to be healing so that everybody grows in maturity together. This is Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Um, but I'm going to read it in the message. I really love how Eugene Peterson puts this. He says, live creatively, friends. Again, remember, chaos, creativity, chaos, creativity. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens. And so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Well, thank you, Peterson. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can 
with your own life. Be very sure now, you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous, common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. And so it's, this is Paul being an idealist, absolutely, and saying, like, look, part of this is your care of self, your personal responsibility. Do you understand yourself? Do you understand the work that you have been given to do and you steward that well rather than, than offloading that onto other people? Do you make your problems somebody else's problem? Do you make somebody else responsible for what's going on inside of you? So the more that you can own what is actually your work to do, it sets you up to a better place to go, okay, what are my responsibilities to other people? Like, what is this common life that we've been called to that actually might be the thing that saves us? It's that, again, that process of sanctification, the thing that makes us holy is in learning how to be this kind of community, entering into the common life of the church. And all of this fulfills Christ's law. And that, I mean, that amazing, beautiful balancing act of loving God, of loving self, and loving others. And, and that's hard. It is really hard. But we don't learn that if we don't go towards it. And it's that I love that Paul gives us this vision. He says, this is who you're becoming. You know, I've, I've spoken many times of how I think in our modern culture, we have this meaning crisis. We don't know, we don't have meaning to our lives. And so when we make decisions about what we say yes and no to, we're, we tend to just make it out of self-preservation rather than understanding my life has purpose, my life has direction, there is a place that God is calling us to go together, and I am willing to be inconvenienced and to potentially suffer and to struggle to see myself end up in that place someday. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that it gives meaning to our lives that recontextualizes inconvenience and suffering and discomfort to say these things have purpose in them because they're helping us to become more like Christ. So I'm going to invite the worship team up and I want you to pull out your phones. And because it's 21st century, we not only have, you can go to citybeautiful.ch slash weekly on your tiny iPad, but... Look at that. It's called a QR code, right? So this is great. You take out your phone, you put a camera, you hold it up, and it goes, oh, you want to go to this page? And you say, yeah, I do. And it goes, here you go, Chuck. And it gives you the Praxis form. So it's got, you put your name, your email address, your phone number, and then there's the options of the things that you can sign up for. So we've got um, in discipleship a couple things. If you are a married or engaged couple, um, that's a great place to connect, to kind of be on that journey together. 
Um, on Fridays at 9.45 in the morning, we have a, a, a prayer group on Zoom that I lead. Uh, and then on Wednesdays at 6 um, at Marshall and Lloyd's house, they do a Tizay-inspired prayer night, so you can sign up for that. Uh, and then in serving, uh, we've broken these down into like some particular needs, um, and you can see how many, how many people we need in each group. So for our greenhouse kids ministry, um, you could sign up to work with the little ones, the one to five-year-olds, or the sunflowers, which is the six to 12. So we need two people for the little kids. We need five people for the bigger kids. On our engagement team that Charity leads, um, we want to have three ushers, so people that kind of stand here and help people in to find their seats because we like to keep it dark and obscure in here. Um, I think part of what we do is to encourage you guys just to show up on time. It's like if you showed up on time, you wouldn't have to like scratch your way through the dark like Gollum in the cave, you know? Um, we also need greeters who are standing out at, that, um, at the table there uh, just, again, to make people feel like this is, this is a place that I can belong. Um, our operations team, um, we're looking for like four to five people. So this is folks who come in kind of early, and they just kind of help set up this space. They put the signs out by the road, and they're, they kind of like work well with the engagement team, where engagement is like the person who makes you feel welcome. Like operations is thinking, how do we create a space that feels like a space where people can engage with God and engage with one another. And Martin, he's the guy uh, leading that, and he's, he's doing an amazing job with that. Um, our tech team, this is a really fun one. Um, <laughs> so these are the people that are, that are kind of helping run everything between there and here. Um, if, you, if you love calling the shots and kind of orchestrating the whole thing, becoming a producer might be a really great option for you. Um, if you, want to, and if you want to learn how to input things that go on screen um, and then run that up there like Laura's doing today, um, you can put in for visuals. And then we need audio techs who are people that will show up to help um, our sound engineer kind of set up the actual stage and set up um, the worship team. And then finally, worship. Um, speaking of like, you know, getting knocked out with, you know, uh, medical ailments, our worship leader had a baby a month ago, and it's like, she wasn't even thinking. I know, come on, let's get to it. Let's get productive. Um, so we're down, we're down a worship leader. Um, and, you know, people are traveling, people are, are getting sick, so we're looking for a couple new people that would want to step in and to help lead our worship team. Um, so if you, you know, if you play an instrument, if you sing, especially if you have experience doing that in the past, we want to try to really get you in on uh, the rotation. And then finally, this one I'm really excited about, we, we kind of, like, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, put this team to rest, our local global team. And local global is really about developing long-term relationships for our community to invest in. Um, we're looking for, like, one local partnership, and then we have our global partnership with the church in Peru um, that we don't want to be a church that just randomly does all of these different serving opportunities so that we feel good about ourselves. We actually want to invest long-term in empowering other people who are on the front lines, who are doing it far better than we ever could, uh, to, to show up and to support them. So we're putting that team back together this summer. So right now, it's like, if you're interested in being part of that team and helping us to develop those partnerships, um, we really want to hear from you. So we're just kind of gauging interest right now, so you can sign up uh, for Local Global there at the end. So those are some of the opportunities I encourage you. Try something new this season. Perhaps you might be surprised 
um, by what resonates with you. Like I said, the more people we have, the less burdensome this is. My vision would be that everybody in our community is serving in one place. If everybody in our community was serving in one place, we would have far less burnout. We would have uh, just, it would just care for everybody that's present in, some, in such a better way. Um, all right, so I'm going to give you three minutes. I want you to look through that, prayerfully consider what does your yes, your no look like, and what might God be inviting you to in this next season. So let's take a couple minutes, and you can fill that out and then hit submit. All right, I want to invite you to stand with me. I think there's another way to think about um, service is that service is the, the kind of the core value of leadership um, according to King Jesus, that he came to give us this radically different view um, that servants are leaders and that leaders are truly servants. And I mentioned um, that book that Loy and I have been reading by Dan Allender, and this quote uh, just hit me so much this week. What most organizations want is clarity, the banishing of ambiguity and a plan that's guaranteed to work. How many of you, like, that's what you want, not just of church, but any organization that you belong to, right? But a limping leader who lives and breathes faith won't offer those restraints. Instead, she offers an open field on which to play and fail to reframe and redesign. The process of chaos-induced creativity invites us to surrender to the God who honors all creativity with new chaos, and with it, opportunities to recreate again and again. A leader fool blesses complexity because she knows it will humble the team, expose their idols of control, and invite them both to listen with greater depth and to open their hearts to the inverted, odd, paradoxical ways of God. Let's pray and let's worship. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for the vision of uh, service that you give us um, in the early church. I thank you for people like Stephen and the others who chose to say yes because there was a need and they had the right character to step in and to do something. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to this vision that it is the many, not the few, who see the work done for us to become more and more day by day, week by week, 
the church that you have envisioned us to be. Father, would you bless our chaos that in the midst of that chaos we might learn to lean into your spirit to learn creativity to ask what is needed what is desired and what is hoped for and so Lord as we worship invite your Holy Spirit to continue to do that work of showing us locating us in that narrative of the church speak to us about our own convictions and our own assumptions and our own prejudices so that we can learn how to say yes and no from a place of integrity and honor. May all these things be to your glory. We pray in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.